Come on, press the, press the button, <laughs> Phil. <laughs> right, let's go. No, you haven't. <laughs> we say that at the top of this show quite a bit in recent times. Look, I'm, I'm a little bit dusty this morning, uh, not from drinking too much, but I haven't had a lot of sleep over the past 48 hours in between calling rugby league games and being up either very early or staying up very late to watch golf because, as it's uh, well established, I'm a golf tragic. And Tiger Woods has done something I didn't think I would see again I didn't believe he could come back and win a major again. And there he was this morning, just hours ago, winning for the fifth time at Augusta National. Um, one of the great, great sporting comebacks we'll ever see. I would love to say was hello to you and hello to Lara that I sat up and watched every <laughs> shot. I couldn't. I travelled to the Gold Coast. I travelled to the Sunshine Coast. I travelled to Canberra. And at 11 o'clock, I expired. I thought <laughs> I'll catch up with all the latest when I meet up with you this morning. But I was woken in my hotel room to a shout that I'm sure said, get in, as someone nearby was watching <laughs> the golf yeah. and they were cheering in a nearby room. It wasn't me saying get in <laughs> because none of the Aussies, unfortunately, were really in contention. Jason Day made a bit of a go at it on the last day but was just too far back. Um, now, a fabulous uh, sport this morning. I don't know how many people were sitting up in Australia, but given my Twitter feed uh, is full of golf types, I know there were tons of golf people sitting up with me through the, uh, well, from 11 p.m. all the way through to 4.30-something, 4.35, I think the final putt dropped from Tiger this morning. It was remarkable and uh, Closer to home, uh, a bit of remarkable history made on uh, the turf of Randwick on Saturday. Lara, I, I just loved watching this. I think every shot of the Masters was is a Renoir, this, this beautiful tapestry. It's great sports television. And I thought as Winks won, the best stuff was afterwards when uh, Huey Bowman led a back down in front of the sold-out Randwick grandstand. Chris Waller went out and they stood there horse jockey and trainer uh, in front of Tina Turner's Simply the Best blaring out over Randwick. And there was a movie moment where jockey and owner just waved, like jockey and trainer waved at the grandstand. And as I watched that, I, I, the goosebumps, mm. the tears, uh, it was a moment that stays with me, Lara. They'll have to make a movie about that horse, won't they? 33 Quite in a row. Possibly. It was like an undefeated footy team, you know, going into the grand final, I guess, and, and finally winning the... The championship, um, pretty remarkable stuff over the weekend for a couple of champions. Uh, one equine, uh, one uh, who has been all too human at various stages of his uh, life, 43 years of age with Tiger Woods, uh, to come back from the, the shame and the public embarrassment that he suffered uh, for quite a, a number of years off the back of the incidents in 2009 is uh, quite incredible. From a footy perspective... I don't know where to begin over the weekend because we have so much to talk about. We could go for three hours, quite obviously, here today. But if we're talking about um, champions either doing great things or retiring, as the case is in Winx's uh, situation, uh, we have Greg Inglis as we speak, quite literally here. This is 11.20am on Monday morning in Sydney. And Greg Inglis, as I talk right now, I'm looking at a vision, that a piece of a couple of pictures that Lara is showing me, uh, is announcing his retirement from the game 
of rugby league, and that is quite stunning given that um, there was quite a bit of talk um, in the preseason about Greg Inglis and his condition, whether he was overweight, he wasn't as overweight as was made out, but certainly he wasn't at his best going into the season. And as it turns out, um, I guess I think all three of us were at his final game played of rugby league in round two against the Dragons at Cogra. It turns out to be the last time we'll ever see Greg Inglis on the field. That is hard to fathom here just a few weeks later. Such a successful, decorated, long-term career. But when we watched Winks, we knew where the finish line was. I'm sure in years down the track, we will know when Tiger Woods is playing his last professional tournament. We watched Greg Inglis not knowing that was his last hurrah, Mm. Lara. And that doesn't seem quite right, does it? It does seem really sad, but I'm just watching some vision coming through on Twitter and there's a lot of love in the room. It looks like all of his teammates, a lot of family um, in the crowd as well uh, there to support him and Greg's got a big smile on his face. So I think that's probably the best thing to see because we've heard so much in the last week and and there's a lot of rumour, of course, and speculation about his mental state and I think that's probably the, the hardest part for, for fans when you hear that such a champion of the game is being forced or, or into a decision because he's just not f- feeling right. That that was probably the biggest concern. But if he's smiling there and he's comfortable with this decision, it is sad and I agree, Maddie. I want to see him run out one more time. I'd love to see him take the field at, on Good Friday against the Bulldogs just so we can all co- go out there and say thanks. And, you know, it's been such a wonderful ride to watch Greg Inglis play rugby league. So I really look forward to hearing what he has to say and, and understanding how he's come to the decision um, when we all thought he still had two years to go. And that is, you know, part of the brutality of the game is you don't get to go out on your terms. If you're a, a cricketer, or a baseball, you may be well beyond your best and perhaps not 100% right to play, but you can still go out there for one final innings and just wave the bat to the crowd and you might make a couple of runs, you might make a 50, who knows. Same with a, you know, a golfer, you could go around for one last time at St Andrews and stand on the bridge and wave to everybody or at Augusta, wherever the case may be. But in footy, given the brutality of the sport... Mm. Unfortunately, when you're done, you are done and you get no choice in the matter. JT got a whole year of farewells last year. Uh, Hopefully, they'll have something really special in store on Good Friday at ANZ Stadium or at some point this year. Let's honour him real quickly with a snapshot. He made his debut in 2005. He won three grand finals and here is the list of awards. A Clive Churchill medalist in 07, Golden Boot 09, Harry Sunderland medal 09, Wally Lewis medalist 09, Proven Summons medal 20. 2013, Dallium Rep Player of the Year twice, Dallium Fullback of the Year 2013, Dallium 5.8 of the Year 2008. Greg Inglis, 263 games, 149 tries. Wouldn't you love to see him play one more and score one more length of the field try with a Goanna to make it (laughs) 264 games, 150 tries was. And the Goanna he did at the back of the 2014 grand final when they uh, went down the field and he scored the try, a great movement against the Bulldogs. And that was the one that sealed the grand final. Um, You know, I've I've been lucky to call a lot of great moments in my rugby league commentary career. That stands out there because, you know, all the emotion of the Rabbitohs uh, and hadn't done it for so long and they were they were gone, literally. They were out of the comp. They were going to never play again. They came back and then they were awful. And Russell Crowe got involved and Greg Inglis came to town and Sam Burgess joined the band as well. And, you know, that was such an emotional night for Sam Burgess and 
Greg Inglis and Russell Crowe and every person who'd ever put on a, a red and green jumper and gone to Redfern Oval or anywhere else to Homebush to support the famous Myrtle and the Cardinal. What a night that was. And that was, you know, one of the standout moments of Greg Inglis's career. And it's, it's hard to believe we'll never see him play again because he was one of those, he wasn't like a shooting star, like a, a comet. He's been around for longer than a comet appears on the sky and disappears over the horizon. You know, we've, we saw Benji Marshall come through and uh, Billy Slater do what he does and did at fullback for Melbourne. Greg Inglis, when he came in, it was like, wow, look at this kid. Like, people, has anyone ever done what he can do in a rugby league field? One of those transcendent um, athletes who just takes the game to a new level. Yeah, my one of my favourite moments was that game at uh, Suncorp when he was uh, coming, he came back from that horrible knee injury and I guess many questions were asked about whether he would ever get back to playing his best and he streaked away. I feel like he he uh, caught the ball as he so, so many times has um, on a run back and just literally evaded every Bronco in defence and ended up scoring in the corner um, on their left edge and he did the Goanna there and that was sort of like, here he is, he's back, he's done it, he's overcome that knee injury. Um, unfortunately, yeah, we only got to see, was it another full season from him last year before if he is in all this pain with this arthritis in the shoulders and we saw on League Life when he came in after week one that he'd had neck surgery, which none of us knew about. Well, that was stunning. Yeah. And I remember talking to you about it um, before the game a couple, or the, the very next night at Conquer, because that was the Thursday night, the thir- first game mm. of round two. And I was confused at the timeline. I remember talking to you about it and saying, can you take me through exactly when Greg revealed that that surgery had taken place? Because, you know, serious a serious injury again and piled on top of all the other injuries. I mean, we, you know, we'd love to see these guys do what they do, but they pay a price, don't they? And you can just never, ever question the money that they earn and compared to the sports stars around the around the world who don't put their bodies on the line as rugby league players do, they don't earn a fraction of what the stars in big sports in Europe and America do. Um, it's just hard to imagine you could go out there and keep doing it the way he has been doing it for so long, quite obviously, and he mm. kept that neck injury secret. Um, that was that was a real shock so to me. So it sounds like he played with that injury all through last year. Yes. And mm. then he got, got that fixed up in this off-season. But I think mentally having to come back from that obviously was something he just wasn't able to do. He was signed until the end of next season, 2020. So that's a long way short of the the planned finish line. And when I mentioned those numbers there, they were premiership games, chucking another 39 into nationals. And his strike rate in origin, remarkable, 18 tries in 32 origins. That's the toughest theatre. He gets over 18 times in 32 outings. A huge part of that Queensland dynasty um, which only ended just obviously last season, pretty much. We'll see if it you know picks up again uh, this year, but we'll never see the likes of that Queensland team that he was a big part of for so long. I want to go back to that League Life episode a few weeks ago when Greg uh, was a special guest, Lara, with uh, you and Yvonne and, and Jess and Hannah. Uh, did, was there any inkling at that time? Did you get a sense behind the scenes in the green room or anything that, that you know, what, how, what was his outward appearance that night? And we're very good, as we know, you know, when people are struggling and we're struggling, we're very good at putting on faces and saying everything's okay, no, I'm good. Obviously, things haven't been great for Greg for some time. I don't think I got an indication there. When I caught up with him pre-season, when he came through the building with Souths, at, when they get all the teams through, I had a one-on-one sit-down and he said to me that he, when Wayne arrived, he basically flagged it with him then. 
And I was surprised by that. So as soon as Wayne, their first, very first sit down, he said, do you think I should, you know, he was flagged up with Wayne then and, you know, and from my understanding, it's not the first time he's brought it up. Like a couple of years ago, he, he's brought it up. So, you know, on that night, I, I didn't get a sense when he came in on League Life. He sounded like, you know, quite clear and that, you know, he, he knows what his path is. It, he's got two more years to go. I, I didn't get it. I didn't get any inkling then. But when he said to me pre-season that it took a conversation with Wayne Bennett to convince him to play on this year, it's obvious that he started this season doubting whether he wanted to play. So I just assumed that that was put to bed after that chat with Wayne. And Wayne got specialists in, said, right, let's sort this out. Let's check your body. And if you're good to go, you're good to go. But obviously it wasn't just the body. It was the mind that was you know, ready to, to give it away. And perhaps there was a real sign of that when uh, he was charged and, and subsequently um, fined for drink driving on his way home from a, a knockout tournament um, just before, uh, well, that, I guess that was early October last mm. year, wasn't it? Because he was coming back and was going to captain Australia in the two tests they played against uh, New Zealand and then Tonga last year and stripped of that captaincy, stripped of the chance to play in those games and maybe... You know, in some ways, that should have been a fair indication that everything wasn't as well with Greg as it possibly could be. And as an extension of that, let's hope by making this decision now, he's freed and liberated it a little bit and life gets easier for Greg Inglis in retirement than maybe it has been yep. the last couple of years as he struggled with how to navigate his exit from he just, the NRL. He just said, this is the quote, I think it's time and it's the right decision for myself. I've been contemplating it for a while. He does say my body hasn't given up on me but it's the right time to retire. Okay, okay. And further to that now, if you move Greg aside, what does it mean for South Sydney? Because he was obviously pencilled in to be a star uh, centre asset for them. Then he went out, Braden Burns got injured. Uh, so all of a sudden Wayne Bennett doesn't have the uh, players he thought he'd have at this juncture, but... Cook and yeah. Walker combined brilliantly on the Sunshine Coast to suggest that South Sydney fans, all is not lost. Yeah, Wayne Bennett sort of said in his press conference, well, he did say Cody Walker is in a league of his own when he plays the way he did at the Sunshine Coast. He also said Damien Cook, that was his best game of the year and he sort of hinted that perhaps he hasn't thought he's gotten the best out of him at uh, at this point and until um, the back end of that half on the Sunshine Coast. Cook also said on Maddie's show last night that Wayne's trying to unlock a new attack um, and attacking flair to his game, which, you know, is obviously um, an interesting thing to hear and that um, maybe that's just going to take a bit of time because we already know how how incredible Damien was last season, but if he's going to unlock something different in him, that's going to be really exciting to watch. But as I said to Maddie just before we came on here, I just love the Walker and Cook story that, mm. you know, they've both had to come from absolutely nowhere, no rep systems, never recognised by anybody and now they're – and they're so humble as a result. That, you know, they appreciate every moment that they're out there on the field and I love watching them. Put an age on it because uh, Cody Walker made his debut as a 26-year-old yep. mm. and now Damien Cook is 27. His breakout year was as a 26-year-old last season. So both these men have waited to well into their 20s to really put their hand up and say, hey, have a look at me. And from a greedy perspective, I watched Cody Walker score four tries and say, he's 29. Why is he at the back end of his career age-wise? I wish I'd enjoyed this for the last 
10 years. Where was he in his early 20s? Of course, he was toiling away at clubs, just not able to get the start or the opportunity uh, or the belief that he needed to do what he's doing now. Yeah, I guess he's been unlucky in some ways. He was given a chance to play for the Melbourne Storm and tore his hamstring uh, right before he was going to play his first game uh, game in the NRL. So a couple of times he has been unlucky, but he, he also might have been one of those guys who, you know, so much talent uh, but just couldn't work out how to make it all work mm. at the ultra-professional, ultra I'll say it properly, <laughs> level uh, of the NRL. And, and we see players who are... You know, gifted come into the system and who never make it, never get the chance, mm. like a Cody Walker eventually did. You know, how many times do we hear, oh, this kid is going to be anything. He's killed them all the way through. He's been a star in the 18s and a star in the 20s and he's a can't-miss five-star gold-plated guaranteed superstar of the game in the future and they never make it. Mm. And sometimes that's just the way it is and there's so many factors. It's great. And Cody Walker seems like a terrific bloke. I don't know him all that well. I've met him a few times. I've spoken to him at Rabbitohs training. I've been down to uh, Bunny's training, you know, two or three times this year. And they're a great group. And they're a terrific chance to to take the title this year. They wasted a, a great chance last year. I think they really regret um, that that window closed on them the way it did in 2018 when they looked like they were going to be one of the two teams or two, two or three teams with, along with the Roosters and the Storm who could maybe take it all out. Um, they only won two of their, their last seven games, as it turns out. I think they're on a mission this year to try and make up for lost time last year, that lost opportunity. But um, it won't be easy because we saw the Roosters do what they did to an undermanned uh, Sharks on the weekend, the Melbourne Storm, 5-0 and to begin the season. And the Roosters play the Storm this, year, uh, this weekend. What a blockbuster that will be in round six over mm-hmm. the Easter weekend. So uh, the Bunnies, while they've lost Greg Inglis, they'll get Braden Burns back, Dane Gagai, you know, there's no question mark about now. He knows exactly what his role. He'll be there playing in the centres on that right-hand side of the field. So clears things up for him, and I'm sure we will see the best of him at some stage this season as well. So mm. as long as they keep Sam Burgess on the field, um, they're a chance of doing anything. If they lose Sam then it gets that little bit harder for the bunnies. He was good, Sam, again on the weekend. Pulled off a couple of shots that really changed the momentum. Uh, if you need an injection at South Sydney, if they're a little flat, look for Sam to stick his hand up and make that statement. Defensively, he did it again against the Warriors, who were very good, maybe unlucky to be beaten by South Sydney. But for me, one of the storylines was the latest NRL Premiership venue. Give it a big, big mm-hmm. tick because Sunshine Coast Stadium, with a sold-out 12,000 fans in the house, provided a great atmosphere. And uh, I hope... I know that Souths are there for the next two years at least. I hope there are other clubs looking to go there as well because there's a real appetite for rugby league. The surface was outstanding and the the atmosphere, 12,000 in there was fantastic compared to where you could put 12,000 at some other venues and not have it barely raise a a ripple on the radar. Mm. Fantastic. Well done. It's in uh, Kawana Waters near Maroochydore and if you're thinking of uh, going up there in future years to watch South Sydney play, do it. It's Mm. fantastic. Yeah, the Sunshine Coast, I'm, you know, to my way of thinking, is what the Gold Coast probably was in about the 1950s. <laughs> Pretty cool place to go. I love the Sunshine Coast. It's a great family destination. Yeah. Um, it's a sensational part of the world and great to see a big crowd out there in great conditions on a lovely afternoon uh, watching a terrific game. I mean, that was some sort of ga- football game, wasn't it? It was outstanding. Uh, the Warriors, yeah, I thought they were, they were up by 12 points. They, I thought they'd done enough, but, yeah. Cody Walker kept diving for the try line and finding it. Our first 
quartet try on try time this season. So there you go. There you well, go. the first four games this round were all in the Sunshine State. Mm-hmm. So they owned the first half of the round and turned on four beauties. All those games coming down to the last 90 seconds or so. Speaking of which, we had North Queensland where there was a pretty special record broken by none other than Cameron Smith. We needed to wait another week, but he only needed three points to overtake Hazem El Masri. Um, I got a bit emotional at this point, mostly because when you involve people's children in a moment <laughs> like that, it gets me now that I'm a mother. Um, his two gorgeous children, I have so many wonderful photos mm. in, that came out after the game of them in the background nervously watching Dad kick yeah. what which should have been straightforward and it was straightforward, but, you know, it was a moment. I really loved watching that. And that's, I guess, the great thing about rugby league. We need ball kids and kids who run on the tees and whatever else for kicking and stuff. And, you know, like if you're at the free throw line in game seven of the NBA championship, you can't have the kids on the court with you. <laughs> no. But you can in rugby league. I mean, the, t- the kids there standing. Yeah. Um, Jada nervous as hell, crouched over, biting her fingernails, um, watching dad Just blow it up break now. the record. You, you know, Cam won't, it won't appreciate it, as he said, while he's still playing. He said, you know, he said all the right things. It's a great honour and, you know, to do. But he did say, until I retire, I probably won't appreciate it. But with that picture, those kids, when they grow up and they can show their their children and the grandchildren of, yeah, just beautiful. Well, the Smiths and the Slater kids are ball boys uh, at Amy Park normally. Mm. And when I sit sideline in Melbourne, one of the great parts of it is watching Cam's kids ride his kicks near my little green meanie, my little broadcast box sideline. And quite often they're standing right beside me, jumping up and down, holding each other, saying, kick it, Dad, kick it, Dad. It's like being at a bush footy ground. But you're at Amy Park watching one of the best NRL players, high-profile team, and it's just – it's fantastic. It's Mm. good. And it begs the question now, what will his final points tally be at the end of his career – you know, it looks like he may well go on through the end of 2020 at the moment, uh, barring injury. He's playing great footy. They're 5-0. and oh. um, He's a lifer. Like, he's yeah. in rugby league for life, Cameron. He's going to try and milk every last drop of this playing career while he thinks he can be of value to the team. And, you know, the moment he leaves, it, it's still the unsolved question, I guess, as to what happens. When, how, do, how do they go when Cameron Smith finally hangs them up? They've survived. Cooper Cronk leaving. It looks like they've done a pretty good job of Billy Slater leaving. What happens when Cameron Smith finally retires? But how many points will he have? And, you know, does Jared Croker at the back end of his career, the Canberra centre and captain, get a chance? He's been doing it now for a decade plus already, Jared Croker. I mean... It's in his 11th season, was. Yeah. And, and let's say that Cam Smith, he's on 2,400 roughly now, plays until the end of 2020. So he gets about 2,700 points or thereabouts. Yep. So you get to 28, 27, 2,800 points. So right now... Uh, Jared Croker has just gone past 1,800. So as we speak, he's 600 behind Cam Smith, but he's seven years younger than Cam. So Jared Croker averages 176 points per season. If the Raiders have a few good years, he might average 200 points per season. So then you start crunching the numbers, and if he plays for five more years and gets to uh, 33... Uh, that's another 1,000 points for Jared. And all of a sudden, he's right at that 26, 2700 mark alongside Cam Smith. So I think it could easily be a finally run thing who actually finishes with most points, Cam Smith or Jared Croker. Geez, it'll be a hard one to achieve. So 28, 20, did you say he's 28, 28 now? And whether, he, I mean, if he can play till 35, there's every chance 
that he's going to do it. Injuries could come into play, whether a centre can, you know, be outgunned by a young up-and-coming outside back, you know, that, that's a, such an important thing. You lose some speed and defence on the edges is so important. So, you know, I'd love to see Jared play another five years and mathematically, if it's still a chance, what a, what a story that would be in the elite company he would be. He's already smashing every record at the Raiders, isn't he, with the yeah. points tally he's already accumulated. And given the way they're playing... Uh, they might have a little, you know, era themselves here with the Fab Four doing what they're doing, led by John Bateman in the middle of the field. And if they go on a bit of a run and are contenders for the next three or four or five seasons or so, if they can keep it going that long, that would be something. Um, obviously, he gets more games, more chances to score points. And if they're, if they're winning, invariably you're scoring more points. Um, he might reel off, you know, a couple of 250-point seasons um, in a row. And was you mentioned John Bateman. I watched him live for the first time yesterday and, wow, I know what all the fuss is about now. Like, I looked at his legs and you'd see them in any pub after work. But <laughs> up top, he's strong and some of his runs where he's dragging defenders down the field. And what amazed me was, heading into yesterday's game, most tackle busts for the Raiders, not Leilua or Kotrick or Rapana or Whiten, it was John Bateman. Mm. Now, a few went past him yesterday, but he is a good get for the Raiders. And you're right, the Fab Four with another one to come next year, I believe, uh, a halfback Williams. Mm. Uh, George Williams. Headed there. Yep. So, rename it. I was, about, I was joking yesterday, they're going to actually have a – the Australian accent's going to be the odd one out at Canberra before too long. And <laughs> while we're mentioning Poms, uh, we are in the um, car park yesterday, Blocker Roach, Brendan Speed, myself. Josh Hodgson came over. Had a chat with us for for minutes. You know, what a, what a great ambassador he is. And then we walked in and he was still – Beyond the gates, chatting with fans, signing autographs, shaking hands. He's a gem for Canberra. Not only such a great player, but such an ambassador for them uh, every time. And again, a plug for League Life. You only had to see them on the show just a few weeks ago, both Hodgson and Bateman talking about um, their lives. You know, John Bateman was a father at 15 years of age. 16, 16. yeah. Found out he was pregnant. He was in at high school and the teacher came in and... Came Your here. girlfriend's pregnant. Yeah, there you go. And has Imagine a uh, nine-year-old daughter. And who's, she's here she's now. She's here. Coming, yeah. She was coming out just in the last couple of weeks, wasn't yeah. she? So, yeah, he um, had a, posted a photo yesterday after the win with his daughter and his brother and his brother's kids. So he's a very family man. So he said that's probably been the thing he's looked forward to the most. He, he settled here by himself and then having them just come out recently, um, really nice because we underestimate. I, I really didn't think a lot about it until we had them on the show, but to move from the north of England all the way to the other side of the world. Australians just understand that if we want to see the world, we have to leave Australia. Yes. But when you're from that part of the world, they often never leave. So a really big thing for him to come out and aren't we lucky for it? We are. Um, there was some controversy over the course of the weekend up in Townsville uh, with the play continuing on when Nana McDonald and John Asiata were left on the ground in that win by the Storm, a narrow win as it turns out against the North Queensland Cowboys, a tough game up there when Cameron broke the record. Um, there was so much said off the back of play being allowed to continue on. I've had quite a bit to say about it on the fabulous world of Twitter uh, over the weekend, uh, having uh, several discussions with a variety of um, you know people who follow me on Twitter and others, of course, um, the, the majority of people, and I think everybody would have liked to have seen plays stop the moment that we realise the severity of the, the injuries and the referees have come into, under some criticism, in particular Grant Atkins, who was the man who was closest to the scene in that situation up there at 1300 Smile Stadium. And I went into bat for Grant, and I'm, 
often accused, and I'll be happily branded as as a ref defender if if punters want to see it that way. I don't mind, you know, being the advocate for the referees at times because I think they have a really tough job, and it's you know the numbers of referees have been shrinking, and it's hard to get kids to be referees and then stay on as referees in junior footy and all sport. This is just not just an NRL or rugby league thing. This is a all of sport thing. And then go on, and the more you know, the more referees we have at junior levels, the better chance we are of producing better referees at the top of the pyramid. And so I thought it was pretty tough on Grant for him to be all things to all people in that one moment to say because the backdrop to the situation on Friday night was the mantra that we heard through the off season as the game is going to have fewer stoppages in 2019, the ball's going to stay in play, we're going to have fewer penalties as well, we want fatigue to be a factor, we want the little guys to have a chance at the back end of the game and we're going to, as a result, we'll see more tries, more entertainment, more points scored in the game. As it turns out, that was the mantra, but points have shrunk again. We are on track again to have fewer points scored this season than we've had for the past four seasons in in descending order. Points have been shrinking and shrinking and drying up over the past four or five seasons, uh, one after the other. So that's the backdrop to that split-second decision that Grant Atkins has to make in that game on Friday night where he's watching a couple of players on the ground. Now, sure, a bit was made of the fact that they were two down the Cowboys in the defensive line, that it was 13 versus 11. That's not the referee's remit. He's not out there to ensure it's always 13 versus 13. It's nice if it happens that way, but we see teams play a man down all the time with a player on the ground injured behind the play. Or we see a team play a man down as the Seagulls did against the Newcastle Knights when somebody gets sent to the sin bin. Or we see teams play for majority of games sometimes if a player gets sent off. There aren't many send off these days. But we see teams play and win a man down. So the referee isn't responsible for ensuring it's 13 on 13. And while in 2019, in life in general, there's this all-pervading attitude that everything has to be fair. And if it's not fair, then I want something done about it right now. And unfortunately, that wasn't the case. It was unfair that the Cowboys were down too, but it wasn't anybody's fault. Sometimes that's just the way it is. It's just dumb, unfortunate luck. They had two players down on the ground. And I thought a lot of the criticism of the referees referees was born of the fact that the Cowboys were down and inconvenienced by having two players down in the defensive line. That shouldn't have been any part, to my way of thinking, of the discussion. Mm. It was just whether at what point play should have stopped. And play was going to stop at the end of that Melbourne Storm set because the Cowboys were going to get possession if they got possession and head back in the direction of the injured players. And that would have been foremost in Grant Atkins' mind that I'll let this set play out. I didn't see anything when I went past them that suggested to me that Mm. we needed somebody on the field immediately. So play can continue on. Eventually a doctor went on the field at tackle four. Mm. He saw the players as the fifth tackle was taking place. He put his arm in the air and said, stop play as the pass was being delivered from dummy half, I've gone back and watched it all several times and logged it, basically, to get it clear in my own mind as to what happened. The Cowboys will say, give their version of it, Grant Atkins will give his version of it, and somewhere in the middle is actually what probably happened in the heat of the moment. I thought it was tough on the referees to lay the blame solely 
on Grant Atkins for play continuing on. I, I couldn't agree with you more, Was I'll summarise my thoughts very quickly. Basically, the fact of the matter is bashing the refs is an easy, immature response. It was labelled a disgrace. It could only be a disgrace if you knew that Grant Atkins knew that Danae McDonald had a fractured ankle and decided to play on. He didn't. He was following the guidelines that he was told to follow and subsequently, I'm sure that he spent some sleepless hours that night realising that he'd left an injured player on the field. To label the referees a disgrace is the real disgrace. I'm going to play devil's advocate because otherwise this is a very boring podcast. So if you, <coughs> if you listen... I wanted to, I just couldn't. If you listen to the fallout from it and what was happening in that moment from the two teams' point of view, fair enough was to say that the Cowboys, of course, are going to say we were down on the scoreboard and be panicking and that's it's a very different feeling. But when you hear from the Storm Camp that Cameron Smith says he can hear the Cowboys players yelling at the referee, please stop play, we've got two players down, um, they're back, you know... Cameron Smith could sense that exactly what was going on and said the Cowboys players were pleading with the referee to please stop, please stop, have a look. This is not going well. Uh, I, I don't in future think that you need to put it on the um, team with the ball, but I think Cameron Smith could tell what was going on there. I'm not saying he's it's his choice. It is his choice. If he wanted to stop the play there, he could have. I know the referees, that we have a procedure and the refs are meant to stop the play, but if the Storm know exactly what's happening because if if they score a try there was Mm -hmm. you're saying yeah they could end the set but if that's a try it's a try yeah but it wasn't i know but But it could have been but also my argument is kurt baptiste is panicking because i let you know where the storm went they went that left side Mm -hmm. cam munster puts a kick in and kurt baptiste puts a shit excuse my language tackle on cam munster because all the cowboys are panicking so what happens if cam munster then is out for the season with a, with a bad knee injury. Kurt Baptiste, that's his decision to put a terrible... They're all under pressure. What I'm saying is the Cowboys were panicked out there because they think our season's on the line, the Storm are coming for us, they're not stopping, nobody's stopping this, well, we're going to concede well, a try in our whole... If it was so bad, why didn't the Storm stop? Why is it, that's what I why mean. Why is it the referee's job? That's what I why, mean. Why didn't the Storm no, stop? No, Players play and referees referee. Yeah, exactly. And so the referees are referee. Do what they do. Do they? Are they really hearing sounds and hearing? If they're refereeing, where you're making, you're watching so much and under so much pressure, uh, unless you're following a guideline, you're not always going to uh, observe the same situation that Cam Smith observed, even though plenty of people say he does referee. You know what I'm saying? The there's Storm a lot. knew exactly what was happening. There's a they lot knew on, there were two players out of the line and. You know what? It wasn't a situation where they're fe- feigning injury to stop the play. But that is the that is the risk. As soon as uh, as soon as referees start to overreact to this situation and say, "Oh, player down, stop," we want to make sure he's okay. You know what's going to start happening? Okay, and you know what Paul Green said? He said we stopped for a bloody nose twice for the storm. Yeah. And I, but but the, hang on, that, that's a myth, isn't it? That is an absolute myth because we don't stop play for bloody they, noses. Well, we stop well, blood rule. Well, play might have been held up after a ball went into touch or beyond the dead ball line for a goal line dropout, and play might be paused for a moment, having the ball gone out of play. But we don't. When the ball is in play, we don't stop play for at bloody the play noses. the ball. They do. But that's. At the play the ball, if well, Blake Ferguson's nose is on the other side of his face and blood's pouring out and he's got the ball to play it, they stop play. I guess that's a different situation. Yeah. The fact that, you know, given um, health situations and duty of care and safe workplaces, all that sort of stuff with blood involved and whatever else, I'm mm. guessing. But in general, you know, that, that line has got trotted out quite a bit over the weekend. We don't just see the play stopped when somebody, you know, has an ingrown you know fingernail or whatever else or a hair out of place. We just don't... We, we aren't stopping play 
just every time somebody gets hurt. And th- on this occasion, you know, we just outrageously went beyond the point where the you know, play should have been stopped. And the fact that we've got a bunker watching everything from above with, at every angle, th- there was enough time. If it was 20 seconds, I felt like it was a minute. How long was it? Was you logged uh, it? It was about 50 seconds. So in that time... Surely they can see what's going on as well, can't they? Radio into the ref because, and go. Because, you know, this the, isn't this isn't just a small injury. No, you always true, say don't raise a problem so without raising a solution. What's the solution? Well, I'd, we'll get to that in a moment. But <laughs> okay. the, the point also was made that the bloke's laying there with a broken ankle, his legs pointing the wrong way. Ugh. Well, did anybody really? Did if you're watching the game on TV, I defy you in that moment. It's fine in hindsight, and hindsight's always twenty twenty. After you've seen four or five replays, you go, "Gee whiz." His, his foot's pointing the wrong direction there, 90 degrees the wrong way. But in the moment, he's laying on the ground, his legs are askew. Um, I, I can't be critical at all of Grant Atkins for not realising that his foot was pointing the wrong way. I mean, he's just another player on the ground. And again, I come back to the point that the backdrop to the season was ball in play, um, less stoppages. I'm not, not being critical of no, the no, referee. No, I'm, no, I'm, I'm saying. But, but this is from a... Of sports watchers' point of view, everyone's saying it seems really obvious and really easy to solve that situation, but you're not there with your heart rate going 160 beats per minute with the backdrop of what was drummed into the referees over the off-season as part of your decision-making process in that very instant. Mm. He, it, sure, there's two players on the ground, but that isn't cause automatically for play to be stopped. Because he has to sense that there was a head collision and they're in, you know, their life is in danger or, you know, it's far more serious, a life-threatening situation potentially. If he sees that, then he obviously stops the play straight away. If he sees that his foot is pointing in the wrong direction, he stops the play straight away. Mm. But, you know, watching it back again, people were saying... Uh, Nano McDonald's laying on the ground screaming. Well, you know what? He wasn't. He wasn't laying on the ground screaming. I don't know how he wasn't laying on the ground screaming. He wasn't laying on the ground screaming. And the trainer got out there to assess them, having play gone on, and the doctor, as I said, didn't get out there until tackle four. He looked at the players and said, we need a medicab, stop play, as the fifth play the ball was taking place and the pass going from dummy half, the doctor has his hand in the air saying, stop the play. Mm. So, you know, it's a matter of, you know, between the trainer getting out there and the hand going in the air is probably around about 30 seconds or just over 30 seconds. Um, but I can't be critical at all of the referee. Sure, we, you know, let's wave a wand and go back and solve it. It didn't change the result of the game. Our thoughts are with Nana McDonald and John Asiata for their injuries, but you know I, I'm not hanging anybody out to drive for that happening. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping that in the next uh, 24 hours, once the appointments are made for next weekend, the Grant Atkins and the crew isn't hung out to dry unless there was a a material breakdown of the protocol. Yeah, I guess we'll find out. But it, you know. Uh, Having their time over again, they would probably do things differently. But as I say, hindsight is always 
2020 and with the luxury of four or five replays, it's easy to sit there and be critical. Grant Atkins is a good fellow who works bloody hard to be one of our best referees. I'm not hanging him out the dry either. We should uh, also extend our sympathies to Aidan Guerra, who's going to miss a big chunk with a nearly identical injury mm. to Nene McDonald. Um, we just stopped showing the replays. Oh, my gosh. Well, sometimes it's, you know, like as it, as it was on the other night and the Cowboys Storm game, it takes two or three replays. You sort of go, oh, That's, that's oh, an geez. interesting point, Lara, because I get people, I watch when I watch footy, I have some people saying, uh, oh, why do you keep showing the replays? And on the other side of me, someone saying, oh, I didn't see that. Can we see another replay? You, you, you can't win in that situation. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know what the answer is, but, but that's... I, I just I feel like I, when they're really disgusting and horribly but, painful but injuries, I don't want to see them. Can't the people who don't want to see them look away? Yeah, I did. <laughs> and well, the people and, who and do want to see them keep looking? Uh, no, I think we are responsible because I think once, um, as broadcasters, we realise it's not, and we're not running the show it, with the microphones. Trust me, we are. We are the tail. We are not the dog. Mm. Um, in the broadcast truck, once they do realise these days that, oh, geez, that's a serious injury, that's pretty unsightly. We'll leave it there. That's where they leave it. Yep. And, you know, I think that has been well established for a number of years now. A long controversy when it comes to injuries or prospective injuries, where do you sit regarding Josh Maguire getting a, a monetary fine for eye gouging, yet Jared Wallace getting two weeks for what I almost term an accidental shoulder charge? He came in from an angle and because it was a teammate... Uh, in, in the way he couldn't wrap his arm, he tucked the arm in. It was a shoulder charge, but I thought a shoulder charge with extenuating circumstances. He didn't go and report during the game, and yet he's looking at a two-week ban, and then I pick up the paper to see, hang on, the eye gouge, he's going to play this week. Something there doesn't rest properly with me. No, I, that's, that is strange to my way of thinking, and I'm not sure how an eye gouge is only a monetary fine and not weeks and or uh, maybe in conjunction a monetary fine as well because, you know, eye gouging? Really? Seriously? I mean, I, that's eye gouging for mine is, is a month. I mean... Well, George Burgess George Bur- three say, weeks. George Burgess has set out the first month of the season off the back of an eye gouging charge that he was hit with uh, due to the, the test series between England and the Kiwis back in October and November in the UK last year. So how at international level an eye gouge is four weeks for George Burgess and a monetary fine for Josh Maguire... I, I mean, it's two different scenarios, two different setups, two different governing bodies. I don't know what the difference is, though. Mm. Mm. Okay. You called the Roosters, was. Yes. At Shark Park, 30 blot. I thought it might be 12 all at this point of the game. It was 30 blot. How good are the Roosters with an eye to this weekend's grand final rematch? Uh, I think they're the best team in the comp. Uh, and that's, yeah, obviously not going out on a limb given they won the premiership um, last September, but... Uh, I think, given what we've seen from them, I know the Storm are undefeated, but I think the Roosters are playing better footy at the moment. Uh, Jared Wairia Hargreaves didn't play again at the weekend against the Sharks. He'll, I think, likely be back for this game on Friday night. And at this point in time, Luke Keary is the best player in the competition. I've got no doubt about that. His play to set up the try for Latrell Mitchell on literally the stroke of half time on Saturday night was one of the great heads-up pieces of rugby league you'll ever see. Uh, The Sharks stop the clock, 20 seconds to go. They get the scrum. Sean Johnson puts in a really strange kick. I don't know that anybody in his team knew the kick was going in. Cleaned up comfortably by James Tedesco. He brings it back and gets tackled in one of those tackles where you sort of think, well, you know, just, yeah, tackle me. The siren's about to sound. 
we'll all go to the sheds, get a drink, we'll come back out and resume battle in 15 minutes' time. Luke Carey says no. He just, I, I've got to go back and have a look at it again. I don't know if he yelled out. I can't have yelled out to Latrell Mitchell, but Latrell knew what was, you know, what was likely to happen or potentially could happen, hugs the sideline. Kiri must have given him a nod at some stage, gets the ball and just lobs over the perfect pass. Mm-hmm. If you're an AFL player, you couldn't pass the ball with your foot any better than what Luke Kiri does. Mitchell takes it in perfect stride, catches it in front of his body, has too much speed for Sione Katoa in cover. And the Sharks didn't know what hit them. Mm. They probably clocked off as well, thinking that's half time. Dugan comes across... He doesn't have the speed to match it with Latrell Mitchell. And as I said in commentary, that was just an absolute dagger. Mm. The Sharks had a chance to maybe do something at the back end, 20 seconds to go. It's 6-0. Instead, it's 12-0. And that that's a, a punch to the stomach yeah. for a team. It just takes the wind out of your sails. And then they come back out in the second half. The Sharks bomb another chance. Bronson Sherry should have scored off a break by uh, Nakora. Instead, the Roosters get the ball off that turnover. They go down and score again in the space of two and a half minutes of actual game time either side of the break. It went from 6 nothing to 18 nothing, and the game was over. Yeah. Remarkable. We could, I could actually spend half an hour talking about each of their five tries. The Ikevalu one was just as amazing. <laughs> Joey Manu did all the hard work, but Ikevalu to get it down in the corner was unbelievable. Love hearing always from Trent Robinson after the game because we all are sitting there marvelling in what they've done and he sits there and says, oh, we're going okay. Come on. Let's not, um, you know, get too satisfied. It was 40 minutes of fantastic football, but he says 40 minutes of could have been better. And I agree with that, um, don't you? That's and, been a theme yeah. from Robbo. Yeah, and he said, let's sort keep happy, our heads sort of down, not. keep working um, on Kiri. He just said he's in a sweet spot at the moment, which we all can't disagree with, but he knows that he'll come in on Monday and look at what he needs to work on. And that's just where they're all at. They're just so comfortable in their own skin, the Roosters. This time last year, couldn't have been anything further. Their attack was clunky. They weren't. They they were frustrated with themselves because they had all that strike and couldn't score points. Now they're like, oh, let's just go on scoring sprees for forty minutes and then, you know, see what happens. Mm. Well, he said in the, speaking of Trent Robinson, he said in the lead up to that game that, you know, given um, they put a few wins together now and they're def- they're the defending champs and they've got the pressure of trying to repeat. But how do you keep the motivation there? Given they climbed the mountain in twenty eighteen, they're going to try and you know, stay at the top of the mountain or climb a new mountain, whatever, you know, analogy you want to give to it. But he said the challenge is there, to find something each week to improve yourself on and meet that challenge. That's got to be the player's mindset. They have to keep searching for new ways to find them, you know, to better their own ability. And he said that is at times at training or in games, players playing in different positions, as we've seen Latrell Mitchell fill in at 5'8", when they've had injuries with... Uh, Cooper Cronk out of action. Uh, Mitchell went into 5'8", uh, partnering Luke Keery, and he did a good good job, Latrell Mitchell. I'm sure if he had to play there for a month or more, he'd probably really settle into the role and do a great job. He's got a great kicking game. Kick it forever. Kick it over the moon, Latrell Mitchell, can't he? So um, they are ominous, and, you know, so are the Storm and the Bunnies and maybe Canberra in that same conversation. And I think at the moment that that is the four. And I think there's a gap. Again, as it was last year, there's a big gap between the top four and the rest. And I think the Raiders have proven themselves. It's early on. They didn't match it with Melbourne a couple of weeks ago, but they'll learn from that experience. And I, I really see them as a developing team who will get better. I still, I still think when it gets to the crunch, a bit like the Broncos, 
I worry about their decision-making in the halves, potentially. I don't know that Sam Williams, he hasn't ever proven that he can be a, fi- a, a halfback who can play a full season. Um, he's played over a course of um, seasons now, 13 games here, 14 games there, never established himself as the main man. Or when he has been the main man, hasn't really stood up and got the job done. That's the question mark, I think, still for the Canberra Raiders, but the Storm, the Roosters, uh, the Raiders and the Bunnies, uh, it's a race in four at the moment. I'll get back to Sam Williams and Aiden Caesar in a moment. You mentioned there's not much of a gap between those top four. What sort of gap will there be between the Roosters and Melbourne at full time <sighs> this weekend? Melbourne, 5-0. and The Roosters have won their last four, but yet to find a complete performance and their best for 80 minutes, I, I lean the way of the Premiers. I think the Roosters get them. Great battle of the forward packs. Uh, you know, the man mountains in the Melbourne Storm forward pack. Uh, and while they're not as giant, you know, they're not, they're not Jesse Bromwich or Nelson Asafa-Solomona in size. Uh, Jared Warrior Hargreaves and Siwa Taukayaho and Isaac Liu and Boyd Cordner. But they're big enough. And boy, they're playing good footy. And Siwa Taukayaho... Um, who I thought as a lock forward when he came onto the scene, um, had a bit more speed than he does now potentially. You know, I'd probably be proven wrong by the stopwatch if we put him over 40 metres. But he is in the top two or three front rowers in the game Mm. right now. He might be the best front rower in the game the way he's going. Um, He is a big part of what they do in their forward pack. Um, Is sensational. It's a great battle. I think whoever wins that forward battle on Friday night wins the game. And I think given Keary, the way he is just dissecting teams at the moment, he's reeling off try assists. Like it's just hand, he's like handing out lollies at the canteen, isn't he? It's scary. Who <laughs> it's, wants to score a try? Here you go. Here's a bag a, for you. 20 cents. Thank you. Here's another bag for you. Well, I, it's probably an origin audition for Luke Keary, isn't it? Because if he's up against Cam Munster, who has been the form up until the weekend, the form 5-8 so far this year. And if Keary goes down there to Amy Park and puts on another clinic, you'd have to say that Brad Fittler can't ignore him um, after that. But to, uh, origin selections completely aside, uh, I, I'm going to go with the Premiers as well, as Maddie said, just based on the confidence that they're playing with at the moment. I, I think the Storm, by their own admission, were, were pretty poor against the Cowboys and still got away with a win and as we've seen, winning has to come to an end eventually. Yeah, and they weren't great against the Bulldogs the week before. Yeah. Lucky to get away with that one in some way. They'll be motivated though. Cam Munster, when he came on League Life last week, he still has nightmares about that grand final and wants to make up for it. So they'll watch that video of that game probably this week and, and get themselves amped to play them at home. Luke Keary try assists one in round one, four the following week, one after that, and then two in his last two games. So uh, tally them up and you get to ten yeah. through five Double games. digits already. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, this weekend I am so looking forward to a number of matches, but I think we've got to amp up the most, the Monday game between uh, the Parramatta Eels and the West uh, Tigers. And this is special information for you, Warren Smith, the pitch perv. Um, yes, I am. I, had, I listened to a great interview um, on radio this week with their uh, pitch curator, curator Graham Logan, who's been at the club. Forever. Forever, since 86. When it opened, Par- when Parramatta Stadium He's opened. He's awesome to listen yeah. to. I'd love to <laughs> interview him on, on Fox League at some point. In terms of uh, I am becoming a pitch perv, clearly. You have rubbed off on me because <laughs> I, it, it was fascinating to hear yeah. the technology that's going into this surface. Um, under the surface, they can add moisture. They can take, obviously, the moisture out, but they can heat it. 
I'm just, I mean, I don't know why you do any of those things, but, um, yeah, I have plenty of questions for him. If like I the Greens right. at Augusta National. Yeah. They've got air flowing under the, the Greens. They can suck the water out of them and make them run at whatever speed they want as far as the Greens are concerned. Graham won't remember this, uh, but I've had conversations with him in the past, the long, dark, distant past, when I was uh, trying to find my way into the world of the media and the sports media. I was doing the uh, PA for the... Uh, the the Sydney Wave uh, baseball, baseball team, team who played out of Parramatta for a while uh, for one season there, and then the uh, Sydney Blues took over um, the the base, two teams in baseball in Sydney became one team. They played out of Parramatta Stadium for probably two or three or maybe four seasons. They moved to Concord. Anyway, Graham was uh, the curator. Has been as I said, been there forever, and uh, the conversations all the way back then. You wanted to be on the tractor, did you? About, what? No, well, I love a tractor. I, you know, I'm a Big property, mowing the grass and have a couple of holes of golf on my property. <laughs> but um, yeah, I remember talking to Graham then, back then, about turning a rugby league field into a baseball field, uh, which they had to do when the Sydney Wave and the Sydney Blues were playing there back in the, uh, not, you know, not, this is 91, 92, 93, 94, sort of 95 era. Um, so, yeah, I can't wait to see how it comes up, see that beautiful green lush turf. Mm. Hopefully there'll be no controversies about divots being taken out of it and the, as there is at the SCG at the moment or Brookvale. Um, it'll be some sort of atmosphere, given the Eels, of course, a little bit battered and bruised off the result last night down there against the Raiders. Uh, after the game, Blake Ferguson tweeted a photo of his nose. Yeah. I mean, if you go and look behind your toilet and see the mm. S-bend, the pipe that comes out of the back of the toilet up to the cistern, that's what Blake Ferguson's nose looked like after Charming, full time. Charming. So, sadly, goodness. I don't think Fergie's going to be there on Monday. He's got I the rib injury busted rib well. will yeah. him out. Yeah, so. I don't think. No, he won't be there. So that's a setback for the Eels. They weren't inspiring yesterday against the Raiders. So West Tigers, their early season form like last year, maybe has them my pick to win that game. Mm. Yep, they were pretty good against the uh, the battling Broncos who are down there at the bottom of the ladder or thereabouts, uh, tied for last at the moment. And there are five teams who only have the one win, the Knights, the Broncos, the Titans, Cowboys and the Bulldogs. Enough, Another tough week for the boys on Queenslanders only. Well, what do the Broncos do against the Raiders Sunday afternoon? What a game because uh, Canberra, you mentioned Aiden Caesar, Sam Williams. Now, Sam Williams has done a job. He's the one, four or five. Uh, Aiden Caesar trained yesterday. He's clear to resume now. Uh, do you bring Aiden Caesar straight back in or well, stick with Sam or find room for both of them? Ricky Stewart said it's a really difficult decision that Aiden could have played yesterday yeah. and that he stuck. He warmed up with the team. He was he was available. Mm, so Ricky's chosen Sam ahead of ahead of Aiden. I, I'm thinking, is it because of the of the way they complement each other, Jack and um, Sam? Maybe it's. The combination because Jack Whiten is new. Well, you know we've, we've seen him yeah. try to play six before, so maybe it's just a balance thing in terms of what he and the two of them can do together. It's hard to to change a winning formula as well, but he Ricky said it, it's just one of the toughest things in his job when you know you've got to make those decisions when players are fit to go, but he didn't want to change anything. Um, he said he warmed up as you said, Maddie, and then he had to get dressed, go back into the sheds. But he said Aiden is been the complete professional about it. He understands it's a team sport. So, ha- you know, handy problem to have, I guess. But you you raised, que- raised question marks was over whether Sam can take them to a premiership. So maybe it's a until we keep winning thing and sure. then Aiden comes back. Yeah, if you're on a streak, uh, respect the streak and, and stay with whatever's working for yeah. you at the time being. Um, I, I don't see Sam being out of a job uh, any time in the near future while they continue to win. Uh, while we're talking Raiders and Broncos, 
Um, obviously, there's massive problems up there for Anthony Seabold. He's discovering what Wayne Bennett probably knew for the past two or three seasons, that how do you make Anthony Milford and Cody Nicarima, um into the halves that they need to be to get the Broncos across the line in three or four big games in September to win the Premiership. And we've been... Well, you know, all last season we asked this question on the, on the podcast. I've still seen nothing to suggest that they are the answer, that they can get the Broncos home in September and in, in any big games. Um, they were smashed by the Dragons in week one last year. Uh, I can't see anything but a Raiders win mm-hmm. on Sunday afternoon at GIO Stadium when the Broncos hit the road and they'll be one and five. And they've got the Sharks after that. Now the Sharks still below their best with the players they have missing. Then they play the Rabbitohs the week after. I mean, there's a real possibility the Broncos are either 1-7 and seven or 2-6 and six maybe. Mm. I mean, they, they might win three in a row. Who knows? But there's a real possibility that they're 1-7 and seven after the first two months of the season. Can you imagine that? And let's finish on that note because um, it's just been revealed that the Rabbitohs are going to honour Greg Inglis in their next home game. Guess who that's against? Anthony Seabold and the Brisbane Broncos in round eight. So if the Rabbitohs, if the Broncos are facing, you know, if they're down the barrel of only one win for the season heading into that game. Mm, good luck. Mm. Yeah. Because oh, the, the bunnies yes. will be fired up to, uh, to honour yep. Anthony Seabold. Quickly run through the games. Tips, Sharks and Panthers. I'm taking the Sharks at home in that one, Thursday night. Penny Panthers to find their way. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. That's a horrible Tough. one to choose. Okay, Sharks. I'm calling that game. It will be fascinating on Thursday night to see how that pans out. Dogs and Rabbitohs. I've got the Bunnies to win that one on Friday night, first game. Storm and Roosters. We spoke about that game. I'm going to say the Roosters win that one. Roosters. I think I went. You said Roosters. You I said, said the Premiers. That's right. <laughs> I, I mean it. The Roosters will win. Yeah. I'm also calling Warriors and Cowboys from Mount Smart Stadium on Saturday. Warriors was? Warriors at home. Yeah, they they didn't lose any friends on the Sunshine Coast. Gosh, the Cowboys. That means stuck rock bottom. One and five that would be if they lose to the Warriors, yeah. Okay, Warriors peer pressured me. It is tough. Uh, Dragons and Seagulls at Wynn Stadium down there at Wollongong for the first time in 2019. Good game all of a sudden, isn't it, Dragons? No Adam Fanua Blake, Dragons. Yeah, Dragons, uh, you know, the dogs aren't a great form line, I don't think, despite what they did against the Tigers and the Melbourne Storm. I think the Dragons might, you know, go on a bit of a run here and play some pretty good footy and uh, that will set up, if they win that one, set us up a, just a, an awesome Anzac Day clash against the Roosters at the SCG uh, the following week. Mm. Titans and Knights, the first game at 2 o'clock. First 2 o'clock game on a Sunday in 2019. Now we're getting to some cooler weather. Titans at home at Seabus Super Stadium. I think they can win. Back to back, the Gold Coast Titans. Garth Brennan jumping around in the box again and there'll be no shoeys or schooner sculling from Mickey Gordon <laughs> this time, but it was great to see it in Game 250. My highlight of the round, 500 fans there to share a celebratory celebratory beer with uh, Flash afterwards. Every time they cut to the coach's box in Newcastle on the other night against Manly and we saw Nathan Brown sitting there pretty emotionless. He looks like a man, he's under pressure quite obviously, but a man who is battling to come up with an answer at the moment. You know, good coach, great footy man, but in a tough situation there with the team uh, that he's built and they're playing well below expectations at the moment. And uh, I've said Raiders will beat the Broncos, Eels, Tigers in the big uh, sellout at Bank West Stadium on Easter Monday. What a game. It'll be great for Rugby League to see that brand new stadium full 
any opening is a great one. I think the Tigers um, against a battered Eels might just get them to spoil the party. Yep. Oh, I'm with you. I'm going to go power. Too much of an occasion. Too much of an occasion. <laughs> they beat the Dragons all the way back in 1986 when they opened Parramatta Stadium. Maybe a little omen there for the uh, new Bankwest Stadium out at the site of the old Parramatta Stadium. We've covered a fair bit of territory. Yes. Uh, fascinating weekend of footy. Big one coming up as well. Uh, we'll talk about it again, same time, same bat channel next week. On, you can take me now. I've seen it all.